0: Okay, hey guys, welcome to Consume, a podcast by me, Burton Olivier, and uh, about all the things I consume, and uh, it's uh, <laughs> it, it's been a week, nothing too exciting happened, still never heard back from that job, uh, sent the resume to that bookstore, but I think it was a few days too late, so I will be shocked if they even get back to me. Um, Yeah, I don't know, I, I don't know what to do for my... <laughs> intro here i've been feeling off all day i've been like kind of stressed out because uh i mean just for life in general but they're doing construction on our building and uh they had for some reason had to like cut off the gas and turn it back on and then a guy came in to like check uh the uh to make sure that the gas came on that our pilot light was doing fine and he checked our stove and our stove's electric so i guess you don't really have to worry about that there's, it's a gas grill, but it's electric electric. I don't know how it works. Um but then he also asked if we our heater, if we use our heater. I was like, no, I don't even think it turns on. And he's like, okay, so you don't use it. And I was like, no. And he's like, alright, cool, I don't have to check it. And then he left. But then that made me think, it's like, should he have checked it? Is there like something weird with the gas? Could it have like start a leaking now or something? I don't know. It didn't it's not a rational fear. So I've been like lightly stressed about that in the back of my mind while i sit in the same room as this heater and like hope it's not killing me until finally i just i actually tried to start recording a few minutes ago but audacity was fucking up and i was feeling like stressed and out of it so i had to like restart audacity to uh, and clear out some files and i also pried open the heater to double check Uh, and I found the gas line in there, and it is off. The valve has just been off, which I think, which makes me think, like, is there a way, could I turn on my heater? But I don't know exactly how to do it, and I don't want to fuck up, so, uh, I'll just keep living in, um, sweatpants and a sweatshirt whenever it's 50 degrees outside that's freezing in Los Angeles. Which we actually just had a really fucking hot weekend. It was like ninety degrees. And then now today we're back to it was like a high of fifty nine and it was grey and not quite rainy. There was like a little bit of drizzle, but you know, nothing. So I think my body's just I'm just stressed. <laughs> my body feels off from that drastic uh uh temperature change. It also might be because I had greasy tostadas to eat for dinner and that's making me feel off too. who knows. It's everything. Another thing I wanted to talk about, but I don't have a smooth transition for it, so uh I'm just gonna talk about it. I do my like I've been doing my like walks, like a morning walk and an afternoon, evening walk, so that I uh can get my ten thousand steps in a day. Uh and the other day I did my walk later than usual. My friend Arn called me out of the blue. and talked to him and years probably uh which it was really nice to talk to him and catch up he's the reason i'm into death metal and all that shit uh big part of who i am now i love that guy but uh so yeah he called me at like five and we talked for an hour or so so i didn't start my walk till like six which in the winter means it's dark outside and it just felt weird to be outside in the dark and it just made me think about how like non-nocturnal i've become i don't know the right word to say that uh, it just feels weird to, like, leave my house at night now after two years of, like, not having a reason to go out at night, um, yeah, I don't know, It just, like, I think it's also, I feel a little unsafe at night, which is so stupid, because I used to just go out at night all the time when I lived in Koreatown, which is a much sketchier area, and, like, I used to, you know, go to shows and come back and like park far away and then have to walk back to my apartment. I always felt like fine. I think it's a combo of, you know, two years staying inside and also like during that first part of the pandemic was also when all the George Floyd uh, protests were going on. And when that happened, I downloaded, the, I downloaded the Citizen app, mostly so I could just try and keep up with where the protests were and like what cops were doing. But since I had the citizen app, I used to get notifications all the time about like every little thing that happened in my neighborhood and would always be like three blocks away <laughs> someone got mugged uh there was a stabbing oh there's someone running around with a gun it was like stuff that like doesn't seem right for my neighborhood and you know maybe it is it's probably or maybe it's just people over reporting but I think that like really like got into my head and made me feel um uncomfortable with like going out at night and I just feel so silly because it'd be like I went for my walk and it was like 6.30. It's not even late. (laughs) It's just people getting off of work, but it's dark out, so I feel weird, and even, like, a couple nights later for dinner, like, I didn't know what I wanted to eat, and I was like, fuck it, I'm just gonna go get KFC, and it was 8 p.m., and I, like, so rarely drive at night now. I'm, like, not used to headlights and shit. It's weird. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably another reason I should get a job is just to, like, break this cycle and get out of my own head and house a little bit, but also I just don't I just don't want to work at all. Anyways, <laughs> so, um, let's just get into the to the books for part one of this week's podcast. Uh, let's see, I read a lot more than I thought I did, um, but yeah, we'll just get into it. I watched watched. I just said read first. I read Richard Stark Parker's The Score uh, adaptation by Darwin Cook. So Richard Stark is a wait. Richard Stark is an author. Parker is his character. So it's Richard Starks Parker. The book is the score. And Darwin Cook, the comic artist, adapted it. Um, whatever. It's a great comic. It's good, like, late 60s. Um, I guess the novel's from 64. It's good, like, 60s, like, crime stuff. And, like, Darwin Cook has his clean kind of like, I want to say art deco style, but it's not really. If you've seen Batman the animated series, you get a sense of what Darwin Cook's uh, art is like. But yeah, but this story is just like a really simple crime caper. Parker, who's like the main character, and he's this hard ass, he gets drawn into this uh, job where there's a town in a box canyon that's like a, at the front of a mine, and a guy that wants to hire a bunch of people to like rob the entire town in one night, and because it's like, even though Parker knows it's like, too good to be true, and, like, it's too big of a job, it's too risky, like, the, he's, like, drawn in by the, um, audacity of it, and he wants to try and pull it off, and, uh, you know, it goes off pretty well until, of course, someone goes off the handle, uh, you know, typical, uh, pulpy crime shit, uh, and it's, it's a great time. I remember I read this right after I read the in-call, incal last week, and it was a good, uh, cleanse of that, like, to go from that like super high-minded, uh metaphysical shit to this um just like simple gritty crime story, yeah, and it's great. And I always love uh, and Cook's art. I don't really care for he like. With these Parker novels, it's like real simple illustrations, and he just uses like one color to like do highlights. It's a different color for each book, and this one's like a kind of like a yellowy-brown. It just didn't look good to me. I don't even know if that's the right color to call it, but I'm colorblind, so whatever. Uh, (laughs) uh, Four stars for for the score. It's a fun book. Then uh, I read The Grand Otolisk, or Le Grand Otolisk is another crime comic my uh instagram comic friend uh oliver down in long beach he posted that he read this and so i got it from the library because it looked interesting yeah it's a fun little like caper it's about like two women who are like professional thieves and they're like a team and they've been a team for like nine years and then they have to steal a painting from the Louvre and uh and because of this they have to like get someone to help them so they get like a third woman uh I don't know it's like it's fun the art style is like pretty uh simple but it's like a little too crude in parts for me to like really like be impressed by but I don't know it's a it's well composed I guess, and, um, this story's fun, but it gets, like, a little more ridiculous than I thought it was, uh, than I thought it was going to be, I guess, and, um, I don't know, I already forgot, like, most of it, but there's a part where, like, someone, one of the girls, like, drives a motorcycle on the side of the Louvre, uh, which is pretty cool, but, uh, and they end up becoming, like, drug lords somehow, and also, I'm, like, whatever, full spoilers, at the end, one of the characters, it it's it feels like to me it was heavily implied that she died but then at the very end of the book it said all three characters will return in another book which i don't know felt weird it like threw me off at the end but i guess he didn't see a body or so she could have lived somehow but whatever it's a, i gave it four stars it's more of a 3.5 but i was nice and rounded it up for this one uh, next i read uh Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, Volume 4, Still Friends, by Sean McKeever and David Hahn. Oh, I didn't say the artist for the last book. Oh, that's why, because it's French. Bastien Vives, Jerome Moulat, and Florent Rupert. I think maybe that's another reason that the, this book felt weird is because it's uh, French, and we all know how I feel about French movies. Anyways, um, Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane. Uh, I read this... I found this series a long time ago whenever I was working at the comic book store on Kauai, and there's, like, books made for, uh like, teenage girl, like, preteen girls, <laughs> uh, but they're cute. It's fun. It's just about, like, uh, the high school experience for Spider-Man, but it's mostly focused on Mary Jane and, like, her relationship with uh harry osborne but there's some fun stuff with like spider-man dating Firestar in and this one uh yeah i don't know it's cute and it has some like nice moments it hits the emotional moments pretty nice uh so you know four stars for that one too <laughs> and then we get into our single issue comics for from last week we yeah, got king of spies number three uh and this is the book where old james bond is like going around uh because he has it's not actually james bond it's some other it's roland king it's a character that mark millar made up uh but yeah this uh bond what do you call it when it's a character allegory whatever um he has cancer or something so he's going around killing all the higher-ups that he knows are dirty and this one starts out with him uh killing the pope or setting up the pope to be killed. Uh, is pretty fun and yeah in this book this is like the next to last issue so they're just setting up like the the big finale fight between uh roland and his son and a bunch of other character uh all the agencies that want to take him down for killing all these rich people uh the art in it is great Matteo Scalera is really good at this uh action art yeah it's just fun <laughs> There's a weapon in this uh, that they call smart piss, which is like a Bond-style guy. It's like a nanomachine that you, whenever the agent has in their bladder somehow, and then they, if their target is peeing, they go and pee at the urinal next to them, which somehow means that the nanobot and their piss can somehow go through the pipes and then up into the other guy's bladder somehow, Uh, and then it's just a bomb in there. Uh, the logistics feel weird to me up for that one, but uh it's still pretty cool. And so yeah, <laughs> four stars for King of Spies three. Again, I'm kinda I'm kinda upset that this is only going four issues. This is like I wish they would um expand on this a little more. But that mean this means that this will be a nice little trade uh for people to pick up. And then uh Devil's Reign number four. This is just a three star. Uh this is just your typical event comic. Now there's a lot of uh just like getting the pieces into place for the big finale fights or whatever the fuck's gonna happen, I can't even remember, uh, so yeah, anyways, three stars, next one, uh, Hellboy and the BPRD 1957 Forgotten Lives, this is a little one-shot Hellboy story, uh, and this one was nice, I liked it more than I thought it would, and it's mostly because it involves Lobster Johnson, who's one of my favorite, uh, Hellboy universe characters and so this is about like there's a ghost who's uh there's like a pauper's grave in new york and so hellboy and professor broom have to go and like figure out why it's like disturbing people and it's like a ghost that just wants to be remembered and they end up finding out it's like one of the guys who wrote uh lobster johnson pulp novels and yeah i don't know it's just a nice uh story it's like some like good hellboy moments in this one i like whenever they get to the They first meet the ghost and the ghost like appears and like does its like big like ooh remember me or whatever the fuck it says. Hellboy just like says he seems harmless, which is a great reaction. He just feels concerned. You can see on his face he's just concerned for this this ghost. And then later to like try and find out who he is, they have to like go to these auctions where they auction off the belongings of these people who go in these mass graves. And he sees that in the wallet is a lobster Johnson calling card and you see hellboy like perk up and immediately get excited to see some uh a connection to lobster johnson his favorite uh pulp hero it's also like a reminder that like in this story hellboy is only like 12 i can't remember what year hellboy like, like was born It was like 19 i want to say 46 but it might be earlier and this is in 57 so he's like at most 12 i would say i don't know it's a good little uh hellboy story i gave it five stars because it really hit me but i feel like this is definitely one it's not for beginners in the hellboy lore i think you can still get some enjoy, enjoyment out of it but like you gotta really know hellboy and lobster johnson like lore for the like emotional moments to hit speaking of hellboy though i also i i finally got the mike Magnola quarantine sketchbook and it's just like an art book a coffee table book or whatever uh but it's really nice it's just it's just a collection of all of Magnola's pencil sketches that he did he was like started out posting on instagram when the pandemic started and they decided to put them all together in this collection of like raise money for charity for the world central kitchen organization don't know much about it first heard of it in this book but i don't know these sketches are just nice like mcnola's art is just so good it's so like it just looks so crude at like first impression like first glance but he's like such a genius like his composition and all the little details he chooses to put in and what he chooses not to do and these sketches are fun it's like fun to see him go through these like patterns of doing like old marvel monsters and then doing like serial mascots and then into like Flintstones characters and then weird Victorian men who have vegetables for heads. I don't know. It's just a, it's a nice art book, and I really like that these are all like pencil sketches and his like shading instead of just being like dark black for like shading. It's like you see all the like pencil cross hatchings. I think you call it or hatchings or whatever. uh I don't know. It's really cool. Um, so yeah, five stars the for the art book the uh the sketch on the cover of the book is like hellboy with a face mask on and he's like has a spear in one hand and it's stabbing a covid molecule uh and i kind of really want to get it tattooed it's a cool drawing and i feel like it's a it'd be a good uh (laughs) way to commemorate this era because it is like during last year one of my favorite things i did was whenever i drove around to all the libraries to get the hellboy books so i don't know we'll see maybe i'll get that tattooed one day i've been really itching to get my uh a tattoo this week i've come so close to emailing the guy i want to do my mr majestic tattoo i just keep telling myself i should wait until i have an actual job so i'm not just like dropping five hundred dollars or whatever on something probably won't be that much but whatever. Um next comic I've watched uh fuck <laughs> I read Pennyworth number 7 by uh, Scott Brian Wilson and Juan Gideon uh and Jason Roush. Uh it was fun. It was fine. This is the end of this Pennyworth series and I definitely at some point I want to go back and reread all of this like at once and let's not do it month to month because there was like three different timelines like that they were like weaving in and out of and I don't know. This ending just felt a little, uh, it fell a little flat. But maybe if I read it all in one go, uh, it would hit harder. So yeah, three stars. It was fine. And then. The Harley Quinn animated series, the comic, (laughs) The Eat, Bang, Kill Tour, number six. Kind of a cringy title, but this series is all kind of cringy, but it's fun. Uh, And this was cool. This is also the end of this series, uh, and I will probably do a reread of this, because this is supposed to be the bridge from season two to season three of the cartoon. So whenever that comes out, I'll probably do a reread re-read. Um yeah, it's a fun if you like the cartoon, I definitely suggest reading this. I already can't remember exactly what happened in this comic, so I'm not even gonna try and talk about it. Next comic. Uh Superman Son of kal-el number eight by Tom Taylor and uh Sion Tormy. Uh this is fine. Basic Superman giant crab monster is attacking, but of course it's not attacking because it's actually angry at humans or anything. It's pollution or has caused it to stir and also uh, lex luther and this like other like new country that tom taylor has made up is like run by a guy named ben who's like a weird um dictator that's trying to pass himself off as a good guy but superman's boyfriend is like her his mom is being imprisoned by this guy so they all have a grudge against him i don't know it's basically like superman uh trying to find the most compassionate way through this by keeping Metropolis from getting destroyed, but also not killing this, like, one-of-a-kind crab monster. But I think some people died in, like, the flooding, so they're going to try and PR spin that against Superman. I don't know. This is a fine comic. Three stars. Uh, I'm looking forward to the next issue, though, because uh, they're doing a crossover with Nightwing, and Tom Taylor's also writing Nightwing, and that's, like, the best DC comic on the racks right now. So, that should be fun. And then the Justice League Annual. uh, And this was fun. That's by Bendis. The art... Fuck, who was the artist? I didn't write it down. Sanford Green, I think. Uh, But yeah, this was like it was nice to have like a full adventure like contained in this but you still get the feeling that bendis just doesn't know what to do with the league or dc in general general he just has these like big ideas but like nothing seems to land um but i don't know i gave this four stars even though right now i cannot for the fucking life of you tell you what happened in this comic uh <laughs> uh so anyways next um Moon Knight number eight by Jed McKay and Alessandro Capuccio and this was fine this was about like this character Stained Glass Scarlet that I don't know if it's an old it seems like it's an old character but I'd never heard of them before uh but yeah this was like it was a story mostly about gods and the power of stories and how stories are gods or whatever you know that kind of shit I like it's fun um so yeah I don't know Three stars. That's fine. <laughs> oh, man. Doing doing great this week. I, I can feel it. Uh, That's it for single issues. Then the last bit of, like, trades. Uh, All right. Mystery Society. The Definitive Edition by Steve Niles and Fiona Staples. I got this because Fiona Staples is the artist on Saga. And I wanted to see what else she had done. And this book's fun enough. It's, like, a weird, like... I feel like they just needed more time with this idea. It's, like, this couple who run like an occult bookstore decide they want to become like paranormal investigators and then they start like developing a team to do this paranormal investigating and like their team consists of like they end up finding this girl who is like dead but alive and she wears a skull on her head and she calls herself secret skull or something yeah secret skull uh the husband of this like duo he goes to like Area 51 and breaks out this like these two twin girls who have like psychic powers, and then like Jules Verne, who like the old sci fi author, right? He uh is like a brain and a robot that he made for himself, and he just wants to he wants to join uh for some reason. He somehow knows about these people and their like team they want to make, and yeah, and then they like don't really do anything. It's just so weird, like, it doesn't explain like how this couple has the money to do all this because they have like a big like lair and hideout and like all those like gadgets and shit i don't know it just feels all flat and like (laughs) not thought out but it's fun it's a fun read it right it goes smoothly and fiona staples art is good and makes the characters likable so i mean whatever three stars uh and then i read the greatest batman stories ever told which is like a compilation uh paperback It has, like, stories from, like, 1939 to, like, the early 80s, uh, and it's a good, it's a good compilation. It's, like, um, uh, a wide range of stories, but, like, none of the cliche ones. It doesn't even seem to use, like, a lot of the big cliche villains. Like, there's only one Joker story in it, and he's only, like, in part of it. Uh, so, yeah. I don't know, and it's cool to see, like, it was cool to read stories from, like, the 40s and see like how the character has evolved like all the way from like to the 80s I was like the first story in this is from Detective Comics 32 I think or 31 which was like the fourth or fifth Batman story ever (laughs) and I really liked it um and like the thing that like describes who Batman is at the beginning of the story it calls like him Batman weird menace to all criminals or whatever and they keep throughout the entire story as they just keep talking talking about how weird he is uh and i like that it's funny uh especially because last week i read this like the day after that headline was going around where robert pattinson was saying that his batman movie is going to be a sad movie where batman is a weirdo so you know it's nice to see someone really getting to the roots of the character um <laughs> the early stories are fun too because like they had, it had not been said that batman didn't like guns Or that he didn't kill. Because he, like, straight up just shoots Dracula. (laughs) He kills Dracula in, the like, his, like, seventh story or whatever. And he, like, kills a bunch of bad guys. Like, in a truck, he, like, causes a a truck to crash. And he, like, even says, he's like, as much as I don't like to take... Another life, sometimes you just gotta. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I definitely would recommend this if you want some uh nice simple Batman fun. There are two stories in this where Batman has to like fight people with World War II biplanes, and they're like stories from the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, four stars for that. And then I read uh the first volume of Alan Moore's uh Miracle Man that he did with Gary Leach, and I got this. Because like at the start of like of an event that Marvel's doing that uh, I haven't read yet, I don't know what's going on., um, but they hinted that uh, Miracle Man is coming back. and these Alan Moore stories are the ones that everyone talks about. Uh, so yeah, and it's a, uh, it's good. It's like fine comics. It's a uh, Miracle Man is basically Captain Marvel, like the uh, Shazam. Captain Marvel, where it's like a kid but instead of saying Shazam, he says Kimota to like change into a superhero because Kimota is atomic backwards. <laughs> um, And this like this is Alan Moore's like '80s modernization of like the '40s and '50s comic because in the '40s or '50s or whatever, it was a um, Marvel Man, but because of I don't know why they had to change it to Miracle Man, and this changes it from being like the old Shazam style narrative where it's like a wizard gives power. So these guys said it was actually government testing, uh they turned Mickey Moran into the miracle man. But they like brainwashed him to, to thinking that some like mystical being gave him these powers. And I don't know. It's uh it's good, but it has that like eighties like serious comic like woodenness to it that makes it hard to read it. And also the font was very small, so it made it like harder to focus on so i don't know it's just like it felt very flat to me and like just not enough heart in the characters it's a lot of like big ideas which is like something you get from alan Moore sometimes i guess we'll see i probably will end up trying to get other uh volumes of this and reading it eventually but i'm in no real rush it didn't help that like this ended with a whole uh like two chapters on this like alien planet but it's like one of those alien worlds where like everything is like a bunch of lingo and like weird made-up jargon that like is not hard to decipher but I just didn't care to so I ended up just kind of glossing over those last pages um so yeah three stars <laughs> uh then I read Casanova of volume one uh this is by Matt Fraction and there's some backup stories by Michael Chabon who's uh usually a novelist that I like but I haven't read in a long time um uh, and this was fine. I've been kind of underwhelmed by this whole Casanova series. Because as much... I love Matt Fraction, but like, there's just something like... It's like there's too much going on with these stories. It's like a... Because these stories are like... It's like James Bond, but like a Venture Brothers kind of like take on James Bond. But like you add in a bunch of like Grant Morrison-y like alternate universe like shenanigans. And like reality changing things in there. So yeah, that made a little... Uh, makes it a little hard to focus on these stories for me but uh this volume had like the best pacing of all of the uh Casanova that I've read so far read really quick and it felt nice um and the art is good Gabriel Ba and Fabio Moon uh the brothers who do the art on this fantastic uh so yeah three stars for that okay and the last two books um first we got Palestine by Joe Sacco uh in this it's funny that i brought up the george floyd stuff because i think it was this was around the time that all the protests were happening i think something also was happening in palestine i can't remember exactly what but also you know something's always happening over there but someone on twitter some activists on twitter i can't remember if i follow them or not she was like offering to send this comic to anyone who wanted it like she would place the order just because she felt like it was something important for people to read uh and i pretty much just saw like ooh, free comic and maybe i'll learn something so i DM dm'd her and I was one of the people she sent the comic to. Uh, and I got it. And of course, it sat on my shelf for a year and a half. Uh, uh, when But I finally read it. And I'm glad I did. Uh, this is really good. It's like such a good... It's like an autobiographical comic of this. The artist, Joe Sacco, he's like spending time in Israel. And he's like interviewing Palestinians and like going into Gaza and all these like camps and like small towns and like learning about what's been happening to them. And this is in 1992 that this uh that he did this and i think the this collected edition came out in, like 96 um and i think shit's still pretty much the same over there i don't know but like it's like fucked up. it's horrible the people like what's the situations that these people are forced to live in and but i don't know he does a great job like reporting and the art is uh is great it's like real caricature and a lot of like kind of unpleasant to look at faces and stuff um and his character for himself is like honestly the most unsettling at times uh but it's like it's really good art though and it's like really well paced and like he has like a great flow and he knows he knows like when to change like his composition style for the story, like the best example in it, because like throughout most of it, it's like a lot of big like splashes, and like the words will kind of the word balloons will kind of will snake around the, the pages. And you have to like tilt your head a lot to like read things, so it'll be these big like open things. But then for like one story where a guy was talking about whenever he had to go to prison, it like starts to go into like a normal comic, like uh, like six panel box grid, but then each like page turn. There's more and more boxes where there's, like, six, six panels and then nine or whatever and that, like, really breaks down to, like, show you, like, how long this guy was in prison and, like, how, like, segmented and, uh, I don't know, like, to give a real sense of, like, how trapped he is in this situation. Uh, and then like the story ends with him escaping and then like, or not escaping, getting released. And then like opens up the panels again to where it like, ends it's like a, on a bottom, like half page splash. Uh, so yeah, it's just amazing comics and uh, journalism. So I definitely uh, recommend it five stars for this. I need to find, I want to find more of this guy's work. And I should probably also uh, learn more about the current situation in Palestine. Uh, okay, and then last book of the week, I read Perla Laloca, it's another volume of, uh, Love and Rockets by Jaime Hernandez, uh, and this is, it's just so good, this is, like, it's a perfect little story, like, whenever I think Love and Rockets, this is the volume I always think of, because it's, like, you got our, like, duo Maggie, Maggie and Hobie, that we've, for the first two volumes of this, these omnibuses, like, make us care about, but they're separated for most of this. So the first half is mostly Ma- uh, Hopi's story, and it takes place in, like, the town they're from, and how everybody, like, doesn't know what's happened to Maggie and what's going on. And then the second half is about Maggie and her family, or like, her time in, like, Texas at her aunt's like wrestling school and like all the stuff she gets into there i don't know i can't even put into words right now like why i like this so much it's this is a great bit towards the end where like maggie has had like a couple a rough few days and she's like trying to like make everything right but everything she's doing is going wrong and then this like random woman that she like bumps on the road slaps her in the face On the sidewalk, I guess I should say. Uh, Slaps her in the face, but then we get, like, the slap is on the last panel of a before page turn, and then the page turn goes into, and it's every character that she's, like, interacted with slapping her. It's, like, like, so many panels on this, like, double page spread of just her getting slapped in the face by every character. And it's not, like, the same pose on her even getting slapped. Like, he took the time to, like, draw, like, different, like, slap reactions for each of them. I don't know why that page, like, hit me uh hit me so hard it's just like felt like a good uh representation of just feeling beat down by life you know something we can all relate to right now right um so i don't know fucking 5 stars it's they're great comics everyone should just read love and rockets uh at some point <sighs> and that's it for for reading this week i finally with a Having finished this Love and Rockets* volume, I just have one more trade to read uh, before I finish my arbitrary goal of reading all of my my uh, graphic novels that I had like piled up. So once I finish reading that one book, which I'll probably read tomorrow, then that means that I'll I can let myself read all the comics online that I haven't been reading because I told myself at the beginning January 1st I'm gonna I stopped reading illegally reading uh every week's comics that I wasn't buying man I'm not explaining this well I'm so tired right now uh but yeah whatever I told myself once I finished reading all my stuff I had bought then I'll go and read stuff online which means I'll probably read a lot of single issues which is going to be an issue for tomorrow or next week's record I'm really gonna have to pick and choose what I talk about only talk about the things that stood out anyways I've talked for too long tonight uh <laughs> that's it for part one we'll be back I'll be back tomorrow or in a second to talk about movies bye okay hey guys uh pack for part two uh today was a fine day it was funny i didn't i like purposely chose not to watch a movie today just so i didn't have to add uh one to what i have to talk about right now um so I definitely there were moments in the day where i felt <laughs> lost <laughs> like i had to kill time and i didn't know how but uh otherwise you know it was fine i went to the comic book store and they actually had everything this week which was nice uh i went to taco bell and i tried that new flaming hot doritos locos uh flaming hot cool ranch doritos locos taco uh and it was fine it's pretty good I don't, i don't really like cool ranch that much, but the Flaming Hot, uh, thing is nice. It'd be nice. They should just make a full-on Flaming Hot Cheeto taco. I feel like I would like that a lot more. Um, but yeah, it was good. I even got it in the, uh, I also got it as, like, a cheesy gordita crunch with that shell on the inside, uh, and I felt like it added a nice little kick to that, too. Uh, what else? Oh, and this morning I read that last book, uh, that, uh, I was talking about, <laughs> uh, a minute ago, the um, my last of my actual physical books that I needed to read before I would let myself read comic books online, um, and that was, a uh, David Mack's Kabuki, The Alchemy, the last volume of Kabuki, and, you know, it's still, it's really good, I've read this before, <laughs> It was, um... I feel like it had to have been, like, exactly 10 years ago. Like, 2011 or 2012 or something. Uh, so, this is, like... It's the last volume of Kabuki. And it's, um... You don't really, really need to read the rest of it. Because Kabuki is a story about, like, these it's like a Japanese like techno uh not techno what's the right word neo-noir kind of thing like futuristic agents or whatever and this last volume is about like Kabuki the main agent that we've been following this whole time like wanting to start a new life and it's really just an excuse for David Mack to like talk about his ideas about creativity and transformation and like changing who you are and like doing what you want to do in life uh I just remember the first time I read this it felt like a like I'm like really inspirational and it really made me like want to be creative and like do stuff uh and then reading it now 10 years later it like feels a little like it still has all that and it makes me want to like just go out and like do the things I want to do but like reading it now when I'm a little more uh defeatist I don't feel like there's more no, there's not as much time <laughs> left uh it's not as uh inspirational but um I don't know it still made me want to start some of these like other projects that I've been thinking about I don't know I need to just do them there's one like thing in there that I disagree with him about and not disagree I guess it just doesn't apply to me like he he talks a lot about like thinking about to when you were nine or like nine to eleven like what you like to do in that age range and that's like around when you're, like, your truest self, I guess, and you're doing things, like, unfettered, uh, unencumbered by shame or whatever, so maybe get to that if you want to find what you really want to do, but I just don't, I don't really remember, you know? Maybe that's my fault. I should have been, I don't know, keeping better notes <laughs> when I was 10. I don't know, I just don't know what I liked when I was 10. I liked listening to music and watching movies, which is, like, what I do now. <laughs> um... I don't know. It's fun. While I was reading it this morning, I felt like there was a lot in there that I wanted to talk about, and I like, had all these ideas, but now it's 12 li- hours later, and I've already, like, forgotten <laughs> everything, and uh, I'm just not in that headspace anymore. But whatever, it's good. Uh, it's, a f- it's a five-star thing for me. I love David Mack's work, and he does this cool thing where he kind of makes it, like, the Kabuki series, like, this recursive loop. I don't know if recursive is the right word, but, like, he turns, like, this volume like you could see this as the actual first volume and then go back all the way to the beginning of his work and then like start over and you can just like loop forever and i I like when stories are are circles or mobius strips or whatever you want to call it uh anyways um we get into the movies now uh still just following the action boys list because nobody uh, reached out with recommendations about something else to watch which you know it's fine Guys, I get it. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, start out with um, "Enemy Mine" from 1985, and uh, this is a this is a weird one. It was not what I was expecting at all. So it's like a sci-fi thing where Dennis Quaid you know, this is like way in the future, we're like colonizing other galaxies, and there's like this other reptilian race that we've been fighting called called the uh, the Drax. Uh, it's like the slang for it. Um, and so there's this battle Dennis Quaid is like a fighter pilot he gets into a uh, uh a dog fight a space dog fight with this uh enemy ship and they both go down on this uh uninhabited planet and they end up having to uh at first you know they try to fight and kill each other but then they have to like rely on each other to uh to live and then the whole movie just becomes about this human and alien like learning each other's cultures and uh learning to live together and the alien is played by lewis gossett jr uh who is great in this like he has all this makeup on and like alien but he does a great job of like making this uh it's like a really it just feels real like it's a real emotive performance he does this cool like voice effect this kind of like gurgly alien voice that he does so that's all him it's not like post-production or anything uh but yeah, like, both of their, Demis Quaid and Louis Costa Jr., like, their performances, like, they're both, like, really charming and, like, fun, and, like, you can really feel these, like, two people, like, come to, like, really, like, know and love each other. And, yeah, and that's, like, most of the movie, but then there's, like, a weird thing <laughs> where Louis Costa Jr., like, his, that tracks, like, alien race, they, like, reproduce asexually, so he, like has a kid but he dies and then it becomes about dennis quaid like raising this kid this alien kid and then the kid gets kidnapped and then the last like act of the movie is him saving the kid and that's where it's like an action movie um but uh but uh, it's it's a good time it's like the performances are fun the production design they made a lot of like strong choices with this like sci-fi stuff and i feel like it works for the most part it uh so, so yeah uh 3.5 like it's a enjoyable fun movie but um Yeah, so that was Enemy Mine from 1985. And then next was Braveheart, fucking, from 1995, you know, directed by, uh, Mel Gibson and starring Mel Gibson, um, and it's so fucking long. It's, like, three hours. (laughs) It's, it's ridiculous, and, like, it, like, it pretty much earns it. It's just, I don't know. It's a cool movie. There's a lot of, like, good production, and, like, the, Mel Gibson is, like, pretty good in this, even though he's too old for the part. The battles are great. (laughs) But like I don't know, we didn't need two different stories about princes fighting with their king dads that aren't Mel Gibson. Yeah, they just feel like a little too in the weeds in the stuff, and it just kind of like starts to feel like you're watching this for homework. Which is funny because this is like historically, or what do you call it? the movie is historically one of the most historically inaccurate movies ever made (laughs) like none of like almost none of this about william wallace's character and the princess like that's all fake or like didn't happen she was like four when this happened i don't know it's uh but you know we're having fun you get that like sick shot of uh meld gibson like riding the horse into that dude's bedroom and like the shot from below of him like dropping the iron ball on a chain, whatever you call that. I don't know if it's quite a mace or a flail, but, you know, it's cool seeing him swing that fucking thing around. Uh, and then all the fights are really cool, of course. The big battles are handled pretty well. It made me think about <laughs> uh, back in high school, uh, me and my friends were fucking dorks, of course. We all did musical theater. But, like, we also did, like, we would do, like, kind of half-assed LARPing <laughs> sometimes. So, like, half-assed because, like, we weren't making characters or, like, doing magic spells or anything but we would make weapons out of like pvc PVC pipe and foam and duct tape so you just like take a piece of pvc pipe you know put the foam like insulation cover on and then wrap it in duct tape and like they would make like these elaborate different types of weapons and like we would go to the park and fucking, like, fight each other with these weapons, and, like, some of them, some of my friends, like, tried to get, like, they knew the martial arts, and, like, the actual, like, sword play, but a lot of it was just, like, fucking around, you know, you do, like, rules, like, wherever you get tapped on, like, a limb, you lose the limb, and if you get tapped in the chest, you die, that kind of stuff. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, real silly shit, uh, but those, were, that was were fun doing that, um, I don't know, this movie also, like, made me think about, like, family, it's a lot about, like, families families and like your legacy that you leave and all this shit and it, like made me think about my legacy i guess i don't know it like kind of ties into like another like broad topic that i wanted to talk about with both intros this week i i didn't like know how to how i wanted to bring it up about like this weird like pandemic like age stasis and i feel cuz like when going into the pandemic i was 30 and I'm gonna turn 33 this year, and, you know, and I just don't know what I'm doing, I don't know, like, what my, what my, like, legacy is, like, what I'm gonna do, like, what is this, you know, <laughs> almost 33, uh, it's not like I'm gonna have children anytime soon, it's also, I read a, like, a, um, there's a Twitter thread I read about, like, how, like, there's a general, like, millennial sense of, um, like, a, we don't feel like we're growing up, as, like, a generation or whatever, because all of, like, the milestones that we grew up, like, uh, thinking we were going to hit are kind of just gone now. Like, we're not, people don't get married as early as they used to. Like, we don't really have kids. We don't have careers, so you can't, like, tie your identity to your career. At least not a lot of people. I don't, you know, I've bounced from, like, low-paying job to low-paying job my entire adult life. So, I don't know, it's, like, and it made sense when I was reading, like, oh, yeah, that's another th- why it feels, like, te- like perpetually children because we're not hitting any of these milestones that we were told we were going to hit our entire lives anyway i don't have a fully (laughs) i don't have like a fully fleshed out uh idea on that so back to braveheart braveheart it's a fine movie uh fucking three and a half stars it's too fucking long (laughs) uh then next up i watched runaway from 1984 with, uh, Burt Reynolds, no, not Burt Reynolds, Tom Selleck, I just saw a mustache and I thought Burt Reynolds, Tom Selleck and Cynthia Rhodes, and Gene Simmons as our bad guy, that's fun, and Michael Crichton wrote and directed this, which is funny, and it's, a, uh, it's like a weird, it's like kind of corny version of what our future could have been, because movies made in 1990, 1984, and, like, it's just pretty much, like, the same world, but, like, there's robots everywhere, and they use robots for everything, Uh, but they're not like humanoid robots. It's like, they all look like battle bots, kind of, you know, and there's like construction bots and like maid bots and drones that fly around. And so when we get our title of the movie from Runaway is uh, Tom Selleck is a and part of this division, of the runaway division of the police, and that's for machines that go haywire and like go off their programming, which is so weird that that's, they decided that this is like under the jurisdiction of the police and not like a glorified, because it's like maintenance. <laughs> they're like maintenance workers um like the first mission that tom seller goes out on is to like there's a robot that like picks crops and it's like running wild in the field and like carving lines throughout the whole cornfield and that's like the first thing they do i don't know and then the rest of the story is just about uh is gene simmons from kiss is a uh scientist who's like programming he has these like chips that he's designed that he can put into the bots to turn them into runaways and also make them kill people like there's a big uh sequence where like a house robot has become a runaway and it has killed it's like shot a mom and like an older kid or whatever and there's still a ten month old baby in this uh house and so Tom Selleck has to put on this like scatter suit to like protect himself to go in to like stop this robot. And I like wasn't quite sure what to expect when I saw this robot. But what I wasn't expecting was like a little square like battle bot, like real small thing. And it just has a claw coming out the front and it had like revolver just a gun in its hand uh but yeah and then like Gene Simmons uses these little like spider bots to kill people but it's weird because I like these little spider things that move around all jerkily, but then they'll jump on people and, like, put a needle into their face that apparently shoots acid into them, but then the robot explodes. So it's like, what's the point of the acid if you're just gonna blow up and then you can just kill them with the explosion? I don't know. It's, it's fucking... It's weird, but it's fun. I Like, I've really enjoyed this whole movie all the way through, so Runaway's getting four stars from me. Tom Selleck does a great job. And Gene Simmons is, like... He's more funny than actually scary. He just does like one menacing face the entire time. But it's it's enjoyable. Um, Yeah. Just made me think of when me and Dexter went and saw Kiss. This was like February 2019. That was a great weekend. I think this was like in the middle of the week I took off work. We like went and saw Kiss at night. And then the next day we went to Disneyland because it was down in Anaheim. We stayed in a hotel. And me, Dexter, and Elaine went to Disneyland. And it was great because it was a fucking rainy day in February. I've probably brought this up on the podcast before, but it was like a rainy day in February, so like nobody was there, but like it didn't actually rain, it was just like overcast. But the like forecast kept everyone away, and so we just like ran around the park and did like Space Mountain and Big Thunder and the Matterhorn like five times each, fucking ruled. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's Runaway. Uh, and then next I watched Iron Eagle from 1986, and this movie's fucking weird, so it's like It's like a, it feels like a lighthearted kind of like 80s teen romp. I don't know if romp's the right word, but like, but we're introduced to like our main character and he's like the son of a Air Force fighter pilot and uh he lives on base and he wants to be a fighter pilot too when he grows up and go to like air force academy and this shit but then his dad is out doing like flying exercises or whatever around this border and these like libyans attack him i think i don't know if they ever actually say libyans but like some of the stuff i read called them libyans uh so he his dad gets like shot down and taken prisoner as like a prisoner of war and he gets tried for flying into like enemy airspace when he didn't actually and so they're gonna hang him So this becomes like a movie about this kid trying him and his friends trying to set up this plan uh to steal a fighter jet and then go save his dad and he gets helped by lewis gossett jr from enemy mine so it's cool to see him again uh he's like plays this old colonel who's like a really good fighter pilot and so he decides to help this kid and so then they do they get a fucking a couple of fighter fighter jets and they go to like save this kid's dad and then he just starts like killing people, and, like, committing war crimes, it's so wild, that this, like, and, like, whenever they're, like, him and his friends are, like, trying to, like, get all the plans, and, like, they're doing all these, like, wacky things to distract the adults around the Air Force base, to, like, get the supplies they need, and the information they need, to, like, pull off this, like, extremely complex mission, especially for two pilots to just go in alone into, like, an enemy country, and, like, (laughs) they just start, like, committing fucking war crimes, like, taking out an airport, and, like, blowing up, like, hangars so that they can't be, like, flown after and I don't know it's just so weird because like this kid at first I thought they were going to somehow do it to where like oh he's not actually going to be killing people but he like blows up buildings and he like blows up like a moving jeep at one point so he definitely killed people and like I get it like you're going to save your dad and that's all well and good but like I don't know if, like, I would want... Like, if I was fighter pilot dad, would I want my son to go and start killing a bunch of people to save me? I don't know. Then it becomes, like, kind of like a trolley problem, like one life versus five lives kind of thing. But, like, I don't know. It's just fucking... It's weird. And he shows, like... They don't show any of his, like, mental, like, grappling with what he's doing at all. It's just... Fucking gung-ho, we're doing this mission things. He even blows up an oil refinery. <laughs> like he's like taking out this uh country's resources and shit. I don't know. And it's just this teenager flying around playing his like like a big part of the movie's like he needs his his music to like really fly his best. Um so he has like a cassette tape player that he has like strapped to his leg. And he always is like playing his cassettes, but since they couldn't get the rights to like any actual good songs, it's like all like weird like bc level 80s music that i've never heard before <laughs> uh and they just weren't great i still need to get a tape player or a walkman at some point i started i just to like support bands i like i've like bought a few cassettes off a of Bandcamp. they're like 10 bucks you know uh, so I have, like, a mini cassette collection now. There's, like, five or six of them, but I don't have any way to play them. <laughs> I was hoping I could find, like, a uh, Walkman at Goodwill or something, but they're they're harder to come by than you think, and I haven't, like, it, they're, like, expensive on eBay and shit. <laughs> Anyways, Iron Eagle, uh, it's fun. I'll also give this one three and a half, but this is on, like, the lower half side of three and a half. It's, um, it's a weird movie, but it's a fun time. And then I watched Beastmaster 2 through the Portals of Time from 1991. Uh, And this movie's fucking hilarious. (laughs) It's so funny. It's so stupid. I was really looking forward to this one, too, because, like... The main character, Dar, is uh, an impression that the guys on Action Boys like to do a lot, and it's always really funny. Uh, So the first movie, you know, was about Dar learning that he's the Beastmaster and, like, helping his town or whatever, and now he, like, runs a rebellion. And this movie starts with him, like, he's running a rebellion, and then there's this bad guy, Archon, I think, who turns out to be his brother. Spoilers. But, like, his brother's getting helped by this witch who has found a portal that will let them go to Los Angeles. And it's funny that this movie is called Through the Portals of Time, or Through the Portal of Time. But in the movie, they specifically say it's a parallel plane. So this is dimensional travel, not necessarily time travel, but, you know, maybe. And so then they, like, want to go to uh, L.A. so they can get this neutron device, neutron divider, dist- something. I can't remember exactly what they called it. Uh, but it's, you know, so they can get this nuke. And then bring it back to uh to the Beastmaster world, and he can. It's like this crazy nuke that'll like kill everything for a thousand miles, and uh. So yeah, that's the thing they're trying to get, and the, they go end up going to L.A. And then there's this girl who's like a rich daughter of a senator. Who's like driving a Porsche and she accidentally drives her Porsche through the portal. So that's how she gets in and she meets Dar and then they become friends and they go back to LA so that they can like chase the bad guys in LA. Uh and it's fun. I don't know. It's <laughs> all the stuff with like Dar like trying to figure out how like the world works uh in Los Angeles is pretty fun. There's like a good montage of them like driving down Hollywood Boulevard <laughs> uh in a convertible, and like Dar like pulls out his two uh, ferrets. Cause he has like his menagerie of animals and he has his two ferrets, Kodo and Podo. And so he like is showing them like the streets, uh, which is pretty funny. They drive by the Pantages and the Pantages on the marquee, it says that they're showing Beastmaster two through the portal of time. And it's, so that's already like a funny joke that they put in, like that this movie exists in the universe where like Dar sees that. And he like recognizes that it's weird. He doesn't like see anything to her, but you just see him make like, this face of like, like what was it? You, you just read that. And it's like, is he recognizing just the word beastmaster and he's like wait I'm the beastmaster I am Dar like are they talking about me or did he like recognize the that this was the movie I don't know it's funny so yeah I give I give Beastmaster 2 four stars it's it's a it's a fun stupid movie I want to find a DVD of it cuz I had to watch this it was on YouTube like a real bad like TV edit off of YouTube Um, not the only movie I watched off of YouTube this week. I think, like, three or four of them (laughs) I watched on YouTube. Uh, some were actually pretty good. But, um, so, yeah, four stars for Beastmaster 2. It's a good time. Uh, uh, then I watched Cyborg from 1989 with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, and this is the last canon films movie that they ever made which is wild uh but you can feel it <laughs> you can totally understand why this is the last one this was born as shit it's not fucking fun like it should be fun like it's a canon films movie you got jcvd post-apocalyptic uh you got this crazy bad guy who like is buff and like has a crazy voice, and, like, looks cool. You got some fun locations in there. There's a cool abandoned warehouse. They do a fight on this, like, beach where there's a, like, a shipwreck, which is pretty cool, and then Jean-Claude Van Damme gets crucified on the mast later in the movie. Um, So, like, you feel like all this together should be, like, kind of fun, but it's not. It's just fucking boring. It's, like, the editing is just, like, bad. The story is weird. There's way too many flashbacks. You don't need them just uh it just didn't work it like felt like the whole movie had a like a go away green filter on it you know that color they use at disneyland to make your eyes kind of gloss over the like employee stuff like it just doesn't it just didn't work so yeah i'm gonna for my for cyborg for my score i'm gonna have to be in a i'm gonna have to be in the hand holding club with my buddy tim on his uh letterboxd review he also gave this two stars doesn't that's that's all it deserves okay next up uh we got marked for death from 1990 with my favorite Steven Seagal. Um and I like all his movies. Uh this movie's fucking stupid <laughs> and ridiculous. Uh but it's like ridiculous in a fun way. It's like fun to laugh at. So Steven Seagal is a DEA agent who has decided to retire after this big job in Mexico kind of went wrong and he decides to like go back home to uh the whatever suburb of Chicago that he's from and he ends up getting wrapped up like there's a Jamaican gang <laughs> who uh like in predator 2 are doing voodoo and like dealing crack and so then it just becomes about steven seagal and his buddy uh keith david who is the his like childhood friend who is now like a high school football coach and they like team up to take on this uh jamaican gang led by this guy a screw face (laughs) um and i don't know it's just you know they take down the gang it's fine there's a fun like car chase that's uh filmed on wilshire boulevard and you can tell definitely does not look like chicago um yeah it's a sweet car chase and then like there's some good fights there's a good fight right after the car chase that like ends in a department store like jewelry department steven seagal just like breaking people's fucking arms and shit though uh like most movies that he's in not enough keith Keith david uh during this like whole fight he just kind of disappears and they show him like hit one guy at the head and the head at the end I have, like, while Stevens' Seagal is, like, take down, like, six dudes. It's fucking ridiculous. Oh, and also, this is apparently the movie, the actually, wait. This is apparently the movie where the story where Steven Seagal, like, gets choked out backstage by Gene LaBelle. He, like, claims that he can't get choked out because of Zaikido, And Gene LaBelle, like, chokes him out and he shits his pants. Uh, apparently that happened on this movie and not uh, the other one. Out for Justice, I think. Whatever. Uh, fucking Mark for Death, three stars it's it's whatever. Okay, and then next I watched No Retreat, No Surrender 2: Raging Thunder from 1986, 87. And I'm kind of upset that I watched this one, but it's going to be hard to explain why I'm upset. So, I'm following the action boys list and I just read like what the name of the movie, the title of the podcast that's like coming up next in the list and then I watch it and like before they get to this movie they've been joking throughout a bunch of their podcasts there's this one like kind of rabid fan that they had back like on their message boards or on Twitter and this guy they call film fan and they would just like make fun of this guy a lot and this guy always talks about was trying to get them to watch this movie no retreat no surrender Two. um and so because that's that's the name of the movie on the podcast. I watch it, and then I start listening to the episode after I watch this. And it turns out that this episode came out on April Fool's Day, and it was a trick just to kind of fuck with this one guy that listens to their podcast. Um and it ended up just being a commentary episode about fucking cuffs, that Christian Slater movie. They you also know, they got bored with cuffs and they jumped to Roadhouse and whatever. So like I'm annoyed that I watched this movie for nothing. Or at least for not like the usual reason that I'm watching I'm watching all these movies. But also it's annoying because I feel like they would actually enjoy this movie. It's like really fucking funny and <laughs> uh stupid. And there's a lot of like sick action. So it would have actually been a fun episode of the podcast. But anyways, the actual movie. It's like it's weird. So this has nothing to do with the actual the first No Retreat, No Surrender, which I think was a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. I don't know. I didn't do any research. Um or that kind of research. So this movie is just about a guy who's good at taekwondo. He goes to Thailand because his girlfriend is there and to like meet a friend that he knows is there. And he ends up getting drawn into this thing where his girlfriend, or his girlfriend's dad was doing something. So his girlfriend gets kidnapped by this like Cambodian military force that's being run by a Soviet guy. And the movie comes about this taekwondo guy, and his friend, who turns out to be like a weapons dealer. And like there's a part of the movie where this guy sells weapons for opium. He's a good guy. He's one of our good guys in this. And then so it's like him and this like drug uh drug smuggler, weapons dealer friend of his, and then this other uh this chick, Terry, uh played by Cynthia Rothcock on a <laughs> Rothrock. Sorry, that's a Freudian slip on my part. Um, but apparently it's this uh synth- apparently this uh Cynthia is the basis for Sonya Blade from Mortal Kombat, which is funny, um, I did not get that vibe from the movie, I read that after, but yeah, I don't know, this movie, it feels like the most expensive, cheap movie ever made, and then when I was reading it, it's because it's, like, three different governments, like, the Thailand, like, Chinese, and American, like, people, like, put all this money into it, and they, like, used actual, like, military stuff, they made, like, these big, like, compounds, and they, like, blew up stuff, But it all just still feels very cheap. But you can tell that they put a lot into it. It's weird. Apparently, like, a lot of the weapons and stuff that they got was from, like, the Thai army or some shit. And they couldn't get blanks. So a lot of the times, I think almost every time you see a gun fire in this. Maybe not every time. But, like, a lot of it, they're firing, like, live ammo. Which is insane. It's amazing that (laughs) no one uh, got hurt on this. It's It's also a weirdly horny movie. There's, like, a strip club scene. Whenever he gets to Thailand, he's like staying at this hotel that like is obviously like a brothel or like there's like there's a pimp that goes from room to room like trying to like push his girls on it like comes into this guy's room like multiple times in the movie to try and get him to (laughs) buy a prostitute uh and there's a whole like romantic dinner that he has with his girlfriend before she gets kidnapped but the whole purpose of the dinner is to just have a big long joke about how weird the food is in asia Like, everything he eats ends up being something weird that he has to, like, spit out. Like, he eats, like, monkey brains or some shit. I don't know. Oh, man. There's also a centipede in this movie? There's, like, they do a gag where, um, Terry doesn't notice that she has a centipede on her shirt. And it's, like, a fat one, too. It's, like, six inches long. It's fucking... I fucking hate centipedes. Centipedes are, like... (laughs) After death, they're, like, my second biggest fear. They're, like, one of the reasons I'm glad... I'm not in Hawaii anymore cuz Hawaii doesn't have very many bugs or Kauai doesn't. Yeah, some roaches, you know, maybe some spiders or whatever. But like nothing really bug messes with you, but there's centipedes around and thankfully uh the uh, my mom's house doesn't get them ever. But like Man, they'd show up every once in a while at work or something. There was one time in the first house that we lived in where a centipede crawled in my bed at night and bit me while I was sleeping. Uh, but yeah, I can't fucking stand centipedes. They really freak me out. They just look evil. They just look like... They look like proof that God doesn't exist, but Satan does, you know? It's, I just don't like it. Uh, so anyways, uh, fucking no, tr- no Retreat, No Surrender 2, Raging Thunder, uh, three stars. It's fine. It's on It's on YouTube if you really want to watch it. Okay, and then I watched The Terminator from 1984, and I don't feel like I have. I need to say much about The Terminator. Uh, it was just the next one on the list, and it had been a long time since I watched it, so I figured I shouldn't. Give it a refresh before I listen to a three-hour podcast about it. Uh, And I'm glad I did. It's fucking... It's one of the most solid, most, like, well-put-together movies ever made, probably. You know, like, they do such a good job of, like, the exposition all feels natural. They don't, like, beat you over the head with it. And I wish... It's like one of those movies that you wish you could go back and watch without knowing anything about it. Like to be like one of those people in 1984 who just walked into a theater blind and just saw a poster of like a guy with a gun and be like, oh, what the fuck's this Terminator thing? There's like weird future shit. And then like, who's this guy? Like, why is he stalking this girl? And it's like kind of like a horror movie for like the first part of it or throughout most of it actually. And like, they don't reveal that he's like a robot for a while. You can kind of tell, but like they don't like fully reveal it um yeah it just fucking rules i do have one nitpick the one thing like effects thing that they do multiple times in this that always bothers me with these old movies is darren like the car chases they they like will speed up the footage to make it look like they're driving faster and i just i want to know if this worked on people back then or even now uh like I just feel like it's really noticeable anytime you see, like, sped up footage like that in a car chase. And I don't think you need it. It doesn't, like, add anything, doesn't make it feel more dangerous. It just makes you feel like you're watching an effect, you know? I just wonder, I just, I want to know if it, uh, if that worked on people. But, like, that's the only real nitpick (laughs) to have with this movie. And that's pretty good. Oh, this is even really a nitpick. It's just kind of funny. At the beginning of the movie, when the Terminator, you know, when he first shows up, uh, it's at Griffith Observatory here in Los Angeles, which is actually like right above my house. I can, like, step outside and, like, see it on the hill. Um, but it's funny. He shows up, like, in the middle of the night, and there's a guy, like, picking up the dumpster there. But, like, the dumpster he's picking up is, like, a weird half dumpster. It's not a full dumpster. It's very weird. And also, why is the garbage, like, being picked up at 1 a.m.? garbage trucks they'll come early like four or five or like five or six really but yeah i just don't think i don't think you'd be picking up this weird little half dumpster at 1 a.m but you know it adds to the vibe so yeah terminator i give it i gave it a 4.5 stars and i think the only reason i'm not giving it a full five is because i just didn't feel like an emotional reaction to it at least this time watching it like it should be five but that's how i felt after I watched it so 4.5 for terminator definitely one of the best movies ever made and then for our last movie <laughs> I watched uh, Stone Cold from 1991 with Brian Bosworth and Lance Hendrickson and William Forsyth uh, this is a fun one I like this it's a good corny fucking action movie so Brian Bosworth who's a football player and this is his first movie he's been in a few things I feel like he's been in something else I watched this year shit i guess not he's in the longest yard but it's been forever since i watched that anyways football player this is his first movie and i think he's good in this he's like he's charming enough it's fun watching him so he plays like a uh, a cop who uh is tough they start out the movie with him like like cobra it starts out with him uh, stopping these guys from robbing a grocery store. Which, you know, it's always fun to see a 90s grocery store in a movie. Like, the movie starts with a guy using a shotgun to blow up a display of Ritz crackers. Uh, that's that's fun. So he plays this cop who uh, is on suspension for being too rough. But then the FBI comes and they enlist him to go into a... Or they blackmail him into doing this undercover operation. Because he's apparently taken in a lot of bikers. And then there's this big biker gang in mississippi called the brotherhood uh led by lance Henriksen, who tricked me i didn't really I, like the whole time i knew that i knew who the fucking main bad guy was but i couldn't place it and but thankfully at the end of the movie he shaves off his mustache and cuts his hair and then you're like oh it's fucking lance hendrickson um so he has to join this biker gang who are all white supremacists they have like they're like patch has like the confederate flag and like an ss the ss bolts so you really know um and yeah so then it's just about him being undercover trying to take down this biker gang and then the biker gang it's weird because this whole movie feels like pretty low stakes i just never like quite felt the pressure from it but the biker gang's plan is to like take out this like the da of mississippi or whatever you call them and the movie like ends with them like going into the Mississippi Supreme Court and killing like multiple justices and like shit. So it's like, it is like wild shit, but I just never, you don't really feel it. But it's still like, you know, it's a fun ride. We had some cool fights. We get some, uh... Car chases, motorcycle and car chases. Uh, huh. there's one, there's a shot of a gas station blowing up as like a semi truck rolls past it, and so you get a cool shot of a semi and an explosion. And you know me, I'm a sucker for anything with a big semi truck. Uh, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> there's a part where one of the guys dies, one of the bikers die and they do like a Nazi biker Viking funeral for him, which is really funny. They like have his corpse like a big like pyre thing and then they have his motorcycle with his corpse like propped up on the motorcycle and then they burn that whole thing (laughs) which is uh it's pretty cool uh there was also a part where they have a a harley launched out of a window and it hits a helicopter and they blow up that was pretty cool and the helicopter is being flown by this one actor fuck what's his name gregory scott cummins who the whole movie I was like, I know that guy too, who's he, what's he from, and he's from Bosch, he's one of the old detectives in Bosch, uh, who I felt like I'd never seen him in anything else, so it was cool to see a young version of him, I really want that new season of Bosch to come out where he's now a private detective, and because he quit the force, uh, at the end of the last season, but anyways, Stone Cold, it's a good fun, uh, Botsy, uh, Botsy, Botsy, biker nazi <laughs> fucking uh cop movie so yeah three and a half stars it's a fun time um this one is also on youtube and for free and it's a 1080p rip so like very good quality uh if you want to check this out and uh and that's it for our for our movies this week um and for the podcast so this has been uh this has been consume and i've been Burton olivier at Bertzor on everything If you have any questions, comments, or recommendations. And for now, it's time I disappear.